Welcome to episode 149 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Kelly White. Kelly White graduated from Army Pathfinder School to become the only woman in the Army National Guard in Pennsylvania to hold the certification. She began her career with the Pennsylvania National Guard in 2009 after a year of school. Today, she continues to serve alongside her husband in the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. At the time that we recorded this episode, it was up in the air if the funding required for the capital assistance that the National Guard provided would be paid back to the National Guard, and they were worried they were going to run out of funding for August and September. And so we talked about it a little bit in this episode, but now (laughs) it's in the future. On July 29th, Congress passed an emergency security funding for Capitol Police and the National Guard. The bill also included money for Afghan special visa program, and it was almost unanimous in the House, with only 11 members voting against it, and it was unanimous in the Senate. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the bill if you're interested in learning more about it, but I just wanted to provide that little update because we talk about it later and want to let you know what happened on Capitol Hill. This is another great interview, so let's get started. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military Podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. podcast would like to thank Sabio Coding Bootcamp for sponsoring this week's episode. Sabio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Sabio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more. And now let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Kelly. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Amanda. I'm really excited to talk to you today. So let's start the interview with why did you decide to join the military? I'd like to say I have the typical why did I join, but I guess it's a little bit atypical. I always thought about it in high school and I thought that the military was like maybe something that everybody who had an able body should do. I was very patriotic at that point in time. But if you were to ask anybody I went to high school with that I would be in the military, they would laugh at you. I was not athletic. I was not into a bunch of clubs. I worked all the time. I was social a little bit, but not crazy. 
But then I went to college and after the first semester, I discovered how expensive it was. Also, back in high school, um, I had, of course, a boyfriend who did not want me to join the military. So in college, I was no longer with this guy. And I said, you know what? It's time for me to join the National Guard. Uh, Sounds like something I could totally get into. And I was very much like woman powered at that point in time. I liked to break barriers and do the the manly things, but, but be good at it. Uh, so I called my recruiter and I was probably the easiest recruit he's had in a while and was like, all right, when can I go to MEPS? And uh, so we filled everything out. I left for MEPS in like three days and uh, stayed the night in Pittsburgh there and enlisted. And then I got back and then I told my family that I enlisted. So I didn't even tell my mom. She was like, where have you been for a week? <laughs> and then I told her that I enlisted and she, she was not exactly happy, but now she realizes how much it's helped me. So she's very proud of me now. I enlisted as an 88 Mike. I scored really well in the ASVAB. And my recruiter said I could basically be, you know, anything I wanted to be. Uh, there was the the wide open doors for me. But I chose 88 Mike because it was a short training for AIT. And, you know, just sounded interesting. I liked to drive trucks and it sounded like a cool thing to do. So I enlisted as an 88 Mike. And then... The good thing about 88 Mike is uh, it opens the doors for anything. It's a feeder MOS for any school. Uh, you can go warrant from there. It's just, I didn't realize that at the time, but it being an 88 Mike has a lot of opportunity, especially in promotion and going to different skill schools in the Army National Guard. And 88 Mike is a truck driver. Is that what you're? Yes. Sorry, your Air Force. <laughs> in the Army, it's a 88 Mike is a truck driver. Yep. So you, you are the one who moves all the things. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit and talk about, you said that you didn't tell your parents before you went to MEPS. Correct. Nobody knew that I enlisted until after I had already done the oath and everything and came home and and they were wondering where where I was for the past few days. And do you think that you didn't tell anyone because like you said that your ex-boyfriend in high school didn't want you to join the military and so you were like, I'm doing this, I'm not going to let anyone talk me out of it. Right. I didn't want anybody to give me that notion of like, maybe it's too dangerous for you, or maybe you shouldn't be doing this, or, you know, you're you're too smart, or you should do something different. I thought about it, and it was something I wanted to do. And I'm so glad that I made that decision to go ahead and jump. And what year was it when you joined? That was in 2009. So we were still at war, and it was a dangerous time. Right. My mom was very nervous for me at the beginning. I have not deployed. So I have, for me, it's unfortunate that I haven't deployed because I, you know, I would like to deploy and and get to have that experience. You know, that's why we kind of joined the military and all that. Um, But I have not had the opportunity. You're a National Guard, right? Correct. So the first three years of my initial enlistment, uh, I spent your typical, we call it M-Day, which is your drilling soldier. So you drill one week, one week in a month and then a few weeks in the summer for your annual training. But then I got a position. Like I said, I wanted the National Guard to be kind of like a hobby, like something I did on the weekend. And, and you know, it's like a paid hobby and it's a patriotic paid hobby. <laughs> but then I found a full-time position within the National Guard. And since 2012, I've been full-time in some capacity for the rest of my career thus far. So I started out in recruiting as a recruiting assistant and the recruiting storefront kind of office manager. I was hired on as a technician. And in the Army National Guard, the technician program is one of the best kept secrets and best opportunities, I believe. 
So it's a hybrid position. You're actually a federal civilian, but you're a uniformed civilian. So you have to maintain membership in the National Guard in order to be hired and have the job, but you're paid on a civilian pay scale and you get a federal benefits and everything. So you can actually collect two pensions if you were to retire from both programs, a federal and the state, you know, National Guard pension. Wow. So that's what you did when you first, after you finished boot camp and AIT and started drilling? Yes. Then I applied for that job uh, and I got it and I worked in recruiting for about three and a half years. Uh, and then after that, I, for a very short time, about six months, I had a civilian job, but then I got back into recruiting for a few months. And then I got a position at the field maintenance shop here in my town. And I worked in supply and parts and tools and that kind of thing. Uh, field maintenance shop. They, our unit here is a striker brigade. So the shop works on strikers and uh, wheeled vehicles and all that kind of stuff. So I was in charge of a couple million dollars worth of parts. As a truck driver, you get to do a lot more than just drive trucks. Correct. We have kind of a hand in everything. Uh, we do everything with supply-wise. So I know delivering supplies and a lot about ammo, especially uh, to make sure compatibilities, because we're the ones who pack it and load it and, and drive all the ammo. So we need to know a lot about it. We need to know a lot about uh, supply and demand. So to make sure all of our troops are you know taken care of and fed and wa- have water and everything. Because I think truck driver and I'm like, okay, so you drive trucks, but you're telling me all these stories and I'm like, this doesn't even sound like truck driving. I'm so confused. (laughs) It's very much so. I prefer to be called a logistician because it's all logistics and figuring out, making sure what truck can go where with what capabilities, with what types of equipment. That is a better description. I like that. That makes more sense. I like that. So you switched from being a civilian on the weekday and then a guard member to active guard. What was that transition like? Was it like the same thing, just you wore a uniform or was there more challenges? I think when I became a technician, so when you're a technician, you're not active guard. You're still technically an M-Day soldier because during the Monday through Friday, you're still a federal civilian employee, but you're just wearing a uniform. And so it was a little bit like civilian life, you know, you had your set hours and all that. So it's not like active duties where they can be like, well, we still need to just stay here at work. You know, at 4.30, we drop wrenches and we go home. <laughs> it's a union job, you know, but it's still very much the military mindset. So you're around all of your guys who are in your unit with you. You talk about AT, you talk about training, you keep up on your online trainings and your, you know, things like that. So it, it made army life a lot easier, especially as an M-Day soldier then. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the different aspect of like, it's 4.30, we're going home <laughs> instead of the active duty where it's like, no, you have to stay till the work's done. Right. And then from technician, then I, oh gosh, I did a whole bunch of schools. So I was able to go to, I tried out air assault. Um, They told me a week before the air assault course that I had a slot for it and I was not prepared. And I had just gotten back from annual training. So I was like, not in super great shape. And I told them I'll go, but there's no guarantees that I'm going to make it through this. And uh, I was cut on zero days. So and I was totally fine with that. It was, it was a nice little experience for me to go to this class, but it's not on my goal list. But I did want to go to Pathfinder. And the TAG at that time did not like to allow anybody to go to Pathfinder school without first trying air assault. 
So I tried it, didn't make it, but okay. Then I got to the chance to go to Pathfinder. And as difficult as the school is and prestigious, I absolutely loved it. Uh, it was such a great experience and I learned so many cool things. But I'm really proud because last time I checked, and this could completely be wrong now, but I was the only female Pathfinder in Pennsylvania. Okay, Pathfinder, what is that? So the Pathfinders, uh, their motto is first in, last out. So back in World War One or Two, whatever, uh, they were the ones who, you know, were dropped in the middle of the woods and they had to walk around and find, survey the land and and cut down the trees and figure out where they could then have troops and equipment and food and everything dropped into drop zones. They were the ones who coordinated with the air assets to bring in sling-loaded system, like if they needed vehicles dropped somewhere or personnel, or uh, they also talked to the helicopters. So they've, they set up helicopter landing zones, uh, drop zones, and sling load is their main priorities. And is this one of the like combat jobs that wasn't open to women before 2016, or has it always been open to women? So Pathfinder is not a job. It's a special skill. So it's just a, an additional skill identifier. So there's only a few MOSs that are able to go to Pathfinder school. It's very prestigious. So the graduation rate is like 27%. Less than 1% of the entire army is Pathfinder qualified. <laughs> it's some, some really low, low percentage. So it's a very prestigious accomplishment in the army. Yeah, I haven't ever heard of it. And I guess it makes sense if not very many people in the army can do it. And then the graduation rate is so low, there's very few. And so if they were going to use your guys' skill that you learned, would they like handpick a team to go overseas and then scout out the land and fill in all the holes? Kind of. Generally, each battalion may have a team, but a brigade would have a Pathfinder team and they would just pull you from your job. And the Pathfinder team would be, for an example, we would set up all the helicopter landing zones for aid stations. So for any air medevacs and all that, we would already establish, you know, we would look at the land layout and look at any obstacles or anything and, and put markers out for a helicopter landing zone. We also are sling load certified to inspect them. So any sling loaded equipment or fuel blivets or water blivets or crates or cargo netting or anything like that, we're you know certified to inspect that sling load to make sure it's safe to travel in the air. Wow, that's just so interesting. I didn't even know that specialty existed in the Army. And it's pretty neat that you're one of few, if not the only woman in Pennsylvania's National Guard that meets that qualification. It's one of my very proud accomplishments. <laughs> so after I went to that school, then I also went to Master Fitness Trainer. And uh, one of the things that I actually developed a love and passion for because of joining the army is fitness and wellness and nutrition and all that. Uh, so I loved going to master fitness and it was a great education, a great experience. And it kind of catapulted me into my current education track of becoming a yoga teacher. And then now I'm in my master's program for nutrition science. And were you able to go back to school using your GI bill? So in the National Guard, uh, you don't get a post 9-11 GI Bill unless you're deployed or spend time on active duty. But we are entitled to the Montgomery GI Bill, so it's a stipend while you're in school. So I, I But in, on top of that, we also get state money for school. 
the education assistance program will pay tuition towards any state school or any other school that you want to go to the same dollar amount. Interesting. Yeah, I think I, well, I knew that there were like complicated rules with the garden reserve around the post 9-11 GI Bill, but I didn't understand that like that the Montgomery GI Bill was still available. Yep. Anybody who hasn't deployed, they, they're entitled to the Montgomery GI Bill. So if in the future you got deployed, would it give you the GI Bill or since you already used Montgomery, would that not? Well, so uh, after I was a technician for a while, then I applied for what we call AGR jobs. So then I was hired on as an active guard reserve, which is active duty, which enabled me to have the GI Bill, the post 9-11. So I actually do have the post 9-11 because of my AGR service. After I was a technician for so long, then I applied for an AGR job and I was hired uh, in the retention. I was a retention NCO for uh, two battalions for a field artillery regiment and then uh, infantry striker battalion. So I handled all retention related questions and I really loved that job. Um, it was very fulfilling. I was able to help soldiers out by finding them the benefits that they needed, um, making sure they were getting their bonuses paid making sure that they were getting their student loan repayment payments on time. I was able to help their families out by linking them up with all these different resources. And, and I really loved that job. I was successful. I made a lot of friends. I got to do little, like really cool things during that job. But then I was reassigned as a recruiter. So here I am now as a recruiter. <laughs> so you kind of went back to the beginning because isn't that what you started in? That is. You're, you're right. Um, but now, not just being a recruiting assistant or a storefront manager, I'm now an actual mission recruiter. I went through SQA4, which is recruiting school, back in the spring. And the interesting thing about my current situation is I'm also right now six and a half months pregnant. So it makes the job a little bit more interesting. Yeah, it's not, not the military stereotype for sure. When people come in, they're like, wait, you're a woman, you're pregnant? <laughs> I always say being pregnant in the military is like the biggest kept secret. <laughs> like, no, you just have babies. You don't like spend time being pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, there's not a lot of women and then a lot of women either get out when they have kids. And so the amount of pregnant women that you see in the military is few and far between. And so... That's another thing why I started listening to your podcast, because I, I like to hear the stories about women who have stayed in, because there's not a lot of resources out there for women in the military who have children and stay in. There's not very many books out there to read about support or anything, any experiences out there. So your podcast is very helpful. <laughs> That's great to hear. Yeah, it's amazing the different ways that the podcast can help different people from women who are looking to join, who just want to hear about the experiences of women serving to women who are in, who are looking advice from other women about their experience. So that's great to hear. So as we're recording this, it's not going to go live till August. I just did an article for the website that I write for, which is Clarence Jobs, about how the National Guard is has a budget shortfall of like 500 and. 21 million. I don't know if I have the number. I know it's over 500 million and the and they're advocating Congress to pay it back or there's a chance that the training in August and September might be canceled. Have you heard anything about that? Just a real quick little thing. Um, my The unit here that I was part of, the infantry battalion, we actually supported all of that. The stuff that happened at the Capitol and 
So our unit was there and like the, the federal government owes the guard all this money for providing that support. And that's what they're they're advocating for. Yeah. I'm more curious, like, so you guys know about it, obviously, because yeah. you're... I, I, like, I have heard that the drill is being canceled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what the articles online said. The, and I was reading it, and it was like, the more research I did, the more I was like, oh my goodness. And like, a lot of people don't even know that it's happening. Right. The unfortunate, some guys are, are very excited because they don't want to go to drill in August because that's the summertime. Um, but others rely on that paycheck and they rely on, on you know, that extra money, you know, to, to pay bills and, and support their families. So that's unfortunate. Well, and I even read in one article that like, because you're going to drill, some people get health care off of that. And like, if you don't go to drill, then you actually will owe the government money because you're not going to drill. And instead of them taking it out of your paycheck, they're going to just charge you a bill. And so I was like, so the ripple effects, like some people might be like, yeah, you don't have to go to drill, but the people aren't getting money. People are not getting money to pay for their health care. On and top of that, it affects their retirement, too, because you're not getting those points to make a satisfactory year of participation. Yeah, there's just so many ripple effects that, yeah, I read a number of different articles yesterday while I was working on the article, and I was just, like, blown away that I just happened to see on Twitter that someone shared that the National Guard's running out of money, and I was like, oh, that's interesting, and so I pitched my editor and was like and then I was like digging through everything and I was like so when this episode goes live it will be past August 1st because every article I read said that late July which is now or Mm -hmm. (laughs) August 1st but Congress is currently working on there's like three or four different bills that are trying to get through one of the battalions is getting ready to deploy and they have training in August and then they're supposed to deploy in October and they'll still have to deploy in October but they won't be able they to go. get the train up yeah yeah and so and that was in Indiana and so it was just really interesting to uh, read that article and think about like that's one story and like how many more stories are there with right. I don't think people realize how much the National Guard is doing both here in the states but also overseas yeah, so actually the National Guard deploys more often than any service out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I deployed with the National Guard when I deployed. And I know there's, yeah, there's so many missions that they're involved in. And so I'll be watching that because I'm curious to see what is going to yeah, happen. <laughs> yeah, sure. It affects your life a lot more than mine. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned that you're pregnant and your husband's in the military too, right? Right. He is also in the National Guard um, and he's full time capacity as well. He is still a federal technician. So he's a striker mechanic uh, during Monday through Friday. Uh, he actually worked at the same FMS, the field maintenance shop that I did, which was very interesting. It was, it was kind of cool working together with him, but separate because I was in the offices and he was out on the shop floor. It was very cool. He loves his job. He calls it playing with uh, like adult Legos every day. He just gets to tear things apart and fix them and put them back together. So he's very happy there. And then on what we call the M-Day side, drilling side, uh, he's a fueler. So he he works, he's assigned to the the, uh, forward support company for the infantry battalion here. And he runs all the fuel missions for all the vehicles. Wow. 
It's just so fascinating, all the different things that you can do in the Army National Guard and the Air National Guard too. But like, there's so many different mission sets and like different opportunities where like he has the Monday through Friday job or he's doing one thing and then his drill job is different. And there's just, it's just so fascinating to learn more about a crazy amount of opportunities in the National Guard, whether you want to just stay part-time or if you want to be, you know, brought on full-time, the the, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. So are you worried about like drill weekends when you have your baby or does your family live close or do you have a plan for? (laughs) Very interesting question. So I also have an eight-year-old daughter from previous marriage. And uh, so most of the time it works out that she's with her dad during drill weekends. Uh, so it's okay. But there are the occasional times where I need to find childcare. And it seems like the women are always in charge of trying to find childcare. Like the men don't even worry about it. It's not even part of their brain space to, to you know, think about where the kid's going to go while they're in drill. So it hasn't been too difficult. Um, our families are, are somewhat local, so that's been helpful. And we have lots of friends who help us out. And the in the National Guard, every almost all the families are very tight-knit. So like if we're busy, but maybe you know, our friends from the National Guard who have kids, if they can watch like more than one kid, maybe they'll you know, my daughter will go with their family for the weekend. So we're all very tight-knit and, and help each other out. That's really good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different like dynamics and things that make it challenging to be a mom in the military. And my husband's active duty, but he's the same way because like now I have my career with my blog and my podcast and I'm getting opportunities to go places. And like I, even though it's my trip, I have to figure out all the childcare and I'm like, um, can't you help a little but he's not very connected so it would be hard for him to help so it's like on one hand it's like I have all the connections so it's easier for me to plan it but on the other hand sometimes I'm like I've experienced that struggle quite a bit in recruiting because not very many female recruiters and on the team uh, you know my team leader and everybody are they expect me to perform and go to events and as a recruiter like your work hours are just you're at the whim of whenever anybody's available to meet with you. And so I bring up the point of like, okay, so I go to appointments in the evenings. Who's going to make dinner for my family? Who's going to take care of my children? Who's going to do the laundry? Who's going to clean the house? You know, while while I'm white work, the men don't even think about that because they have the wives at home who do all that for them. <laughs> like I am the wife who does those things, you know? And so I, I have to like bring, reel them back in and bring them back to reality of, these are responsibilities that I also have on top of, you know, doing doing the job. Yeah, it's a hard dynamic. Is there anything that you've learned to help you with like the balance or is it just speaking up and advocating for yourself? Uh, I've learned to speak up and, and advocate. Uh, the squeaky wheel gets the, the oil. So I learned to not be quiet anymore. Um, you have to stand up for yourself and you have to be assertive to get things done. I'm not afraid to make phone calls and to find the right person for the job and to find the right person to answer the questions that I have. I think that's the part of the reputation that I've built, which kind of gives me a, a different perspective of the, being a woman in the military. I can rewind a, a while. I met my husband when we were in a transportation company in a support battalion. And then we both moved to the forward support company in an infantry battalion. So infantry is all males up until very recently. There's 
very few females still in the infantry. So I've always had to assert myself and make sure that I'm respected in that battalion and and taken seriously. Uh, so I've built this reputation that I'm reliable and I'm not afraid to get things done. I'm not afraid to stand up for myself wherever I'm at. And uh, I think that's helped me a lot. And it's made me very successful throughout leadership in I don't know, my career, I guess. Uh, I've, I've learned that, you know, I had, I've stood up for myself enough that now I have a reputation that I, I can do the job and be responsible. And a lot of leaders and other unit members look up to me for, for answers. That's really great. And it's all about advocating for yourself and speaking up. Right. And also taking on the hard jobs. So I went to a class called VCE. Uh, it's a vehicle crew evaluator. So it, in the infantry, especially in the striker infantry, you have to be qualified every year in order to fire weapons off of your striker using the remote weapon system, the RWS. There's a range that you have to go to every year and qualify just like your individual weapon, but you have to use the striker, the vehicle as your weapon. So there's, you have like the remote little joystick handle and like know how to use the, the DVE and all these things and know how to be tactical about it as well. So I went to this course to become the evaluator for all these crews. And I learned a lot about tactics and a lot about the infantry going through that course. And I think there was a little bit of a nervousness in the battalion. I became the battalion's like crew evaluator. So I would evaluate everybody in the battalion to make sure that they are qualified for to be you know, a gunner. And they were a little bit nervous because I was a female and they weren't sure how the other male infantry guys were going to receive my criticism, and especially if I failed them if they, you know, didn't qualify. And what I found was I was very intelligent and I spoke intelligently to these guys and I was very helpful in teaching them the correct tactics before they went out to qualify. And I was able to guide and lead them to be successful. And then they respected me like a whole bunch more. Uh, they came to me with with questions instead of going to their team leaders, which kind of sparked a little bit of animosity. But Everybody, be, you know, started to respect me as actually intelligent and tactical. You know, have a tactical knowledge base. Yeah, because you're you had the expertise, and you didn't just keep it to yourself. You shared it with them, and you tried to set them up for success. And so they trusted you because you had already taken that first step. Yeah, and I and I really liked that they like set aside. Most guys set aside the fact that I was a woman, you know, and I wasn't in the infantry, and I wasn't, you know, a, a grunt out on the out on in the field or anything. Uh, even though I wasn't those things that they shared amongst themselves, they respected the fact that I was I was able to teach them and guide them, and they didn't care if I was a girl or a guy or whatever. They listened to me and they sought out my advice. Yeah. When I deployed, I deployed with the infantry unit and I had a similar experience where they were like, you're, <laughs> they would call me the precious cargo. Um, <laughs> but they saw me as the, because I was a civil engineer and the expertise in that field. And they knew that my job was to go and inspect the buildings and their job was to keep me safe and, you know, do all the tactical stuff, which is exactly what it was and it didn't matter that I was a female I mean that's why I was the precious cargo because I was a female but (laughs) I mean that was like their like nickname for me to make or I guess like my call sign um that they gave me but I always felt respected and like part of the team and they did their job and I did mine and we worked really well together 
That's one of the things I really love about the military is that we all work as a team. And I don't find it very, very few instances of any type of sexism or racism or anything. I think in my experience, everybody just accepts everybody as they are and uses everyone's strengths and acknowledges weaknesses. And we work great as a team together. Military is really good at looking past those things. Probably still have some issues here and there, but it's good that in your experience, you've had such a positive experience. Right. So is there anything else from your time and that you wanted to talk about before we wrap it up? I think we touched on pretty much everything. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we covered pretty much everything. I like that you talked about all the different schools that you've done, the different ways that you've served and kind of shows like all the different opportunities and the flexibility in the way that you could serve in the guard and you barely touched on having a civilian job which is what most people typically think of so it's really interesting but I have one last question which is what advice would you give to young women who are considering military service I want to keep the recruiter in me out of this. Uh, so, of course, I'm going to suggest any male, any female act, do your research, look into every branch, figure out what you want to do, and don't be afraid to take the leap. Don't be afraid to challenge yourself. It's one contract in the military is not very much time. Six years is only about 7% of your life. So uh, it's not much. And it's a fantastic experience to have to grow your confidence to grow your your knowledge base to grow your leadership skills it's just, you can't go wrong in the military i believe and i think if if you're able to absolutely take that jump take the leap challenge yourself and and really give it your all yeah and i love the quote by joseph campbell which is when you come to a great chasm in life jump it isn't that far every time you're saying <laughs> that's what that. i was thinking <laughs> but yeah that's a really i think that joining the military can feel scary and i've had a few women reach out and they're like i'm nervous does that mean i shouldn't do it and i'm like no that means that you should do it <laughs> because Absolutely. being afraid isn't a bad thing it's I mean it's a challenge it's gonna be hard that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it or that you can't do it Um, so just jump and you'll be amazed at what you can do right there's lots of people that'll catch you at the other end yeah that's great I love that thank you so much for your time I really appreciate having you on the show and I'm excited for this to go live thank you so much Amanda it was great talking to you listening to this week's episode of women of the military podcast do you love all things women of the military podcast become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review it really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow are you still listening you could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book women of the military on amazon every dollar helps helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.